My guest on Fearless today is a TV personality, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and mother, Dorinda Medley. Many of you will know her from RONI, which is that acronym for The Real Housewives of New York, where she was a very infamous cast member. And she was very well known for saying, I decorated, I cleaned, I made it nice, which is actually the title for her autobiography. But Dorinda had a whole life leading up to that, which isn't talked about so much. And she grew up in Massachusetts in a very small town called Great Barrington. And she went to New York, which was like her dream for any girl who'd grown up in the provinces. And she wanted to be in fashion. And then she found herself in Hong Kong and then in London. She married somebody, had a child there, Hannah. She started Cashmere Brand, where she had friends and acquaintances like Princess Diana and Joan Collins. And she then came back to New York and she lived that life of the wife of a sort of power broker financier. And then he died and she had to change her life again. She's had a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of heartbreak. And she has so had to start over. So there is nobody really better to understand what it means to feel fear and to work through it to find that new sense of you. So I can't wait to catch up with my old friend Dorinda and see what's under the bonnet. Dorinda, welcome to Fearless. Thank you, Trini. I'm so excited to be here. I really am. I've, I've been excited about it all week because I feel like I learned so much from you in all situations, even if we're just having a coffee or talking on the phone, or if I need advice, you really are one of the women in my life that acts as a big leader for me. And believe me, there's not many. <laughs> but also, and vice versa, you know, we, we spent time together after Christmas on this island, and it was a really emotionally charged week for both of us because yes. things happened that week. You know, I made a decision that um, resulted in my leaving my partner a few months later. You know, you were having some issues, just being a parent issues, which and, we... And deciding know. to going back on this uh, second Ultimate Girls trip and within growth and within pushing yourself, you know, you have identity crises, which are mm. a lot of confidence-based and, you know, change is scary. So I okay. Let's just start with. I usually, I usually do this halfway through the interview, but I want to go straight in there because there is a thing I always ask people, which is, when have you been most full of fear? When have you been most fearless? Now they might not be in the current time now because we can go up and down, as you said, Dorinda. So I'm going to start with when were you most fearless? Uh, you know, I I've thought about that a lot in different situations, especially when I was writing my book, Make It Nice. You, you know. It's always interesting when you write about yourself because you have to be a little bit self-promoting and incredibly honest, right? And then you look mm -hmm. back at it and you're like, I, one of the words I used at the end of writing it and reading it, it's like, oh my God, you were so fearless. Mm -hmm. And I think the most fearless moment is when I decided, when I was living in Great Barrington, which is a beautiful but very small town in the Berkshires, and I remember looking around thinking, I'm not going to stay here. I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. I don't mm -hmm. know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to do whatever it has to take to get to New York City and become a different person. How old were you? Well, you know, it started with accepting 
leaving my friend group and leaving public school and going to private school, and I was very social and and mm-hmm. am very social. So there was a lot of tears in the parking lot listening to Van Halen and smoking pot. Like I'm gonna miss you so much. I can't believe. But meanwhile, I, then I went to prep school and basically never spoke to the people again because it was my first step into saying, "Wow, people live differently." I remember I knew my life was changing, and it sounds like such a little thing, but it was a huge thing for me. I, it was about March. And I remember my friend, Livia Curdy turned to me and said, what do you do for spring break? I thought, I, I go back to my parents' house. I mean, I was mm-hmm. a day student. I was like, well, I'm working at Friendly, scooping ice cream. She goes, but where do you go for spring break? Mm-hmm. Where does your mm-hmm. family go for spring break? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, that was, these people do stuff on spring break. This is what rich people do. And yeah. Dorinda Sinkala, never again, I don't care if you have to make it up, never tell people you don't have plans for spring break. And I'm going to figure out how to be that person that Go goes away for spring yeah. break. And it was very pivotal for me. Have you seen the show American Housewife? No. I think it's called The American Housewife. But in it, there is this exact scene. She's got a family. She lives in this smart neighbourhood. She sends her kids to private school. They've been at public school before. And the boy, three kids act differently, but the boy fakes his whole spring break holiday on a yacht with his rich aunt in Saint-Tropez. And so when he brings a rich boy back for lunch, he goes, oh, my God, he had such a nice spring break. Uh-huh. And so the you know the mother goes excuse me and he goes oh that boat was so big and then says oh show me the pictures I can't remember, and then she proceeds to do something that really ultimately embarrassed the boy, which is then to do a slideshow of actually what they had done on spring break, which was to go and live with an Amish community for a week, okay, to find out how the other half lived. Well, it's very interesting because I never did that. I was going to figure out a way to both hold on, because I remember I used to invite people to my house. I was a day student, and I would be like, if you like it, you like it. This is part of me too. I specifically remember one girl whose father owned a multi-million dollar tire company and she came to my house and she didn't like what my mother was serving now my mother served raised this as a unit we had no identity mm-hmm. it was just like get mm-hmm. dinner done and survive through the day right mm-hmm. as a mother yeah. of four with very little resources and she said to my mother i don't eat x and my mother didn't say anything and afterwards she said to me in the kitchen you will never bring that girl to our home again she, I, I said, but mom, she is. She goes, I don't care what she is. She is poorly raised, no matter how rich mm. she is. And mm. she never came to my house again, that girl. And I stopped being friends with her. So I was still, this had this extreme loyalty yeah. to the engine that was behind me pushing because I wanted these dreams, but my parents were the ones that facilitated and I never yeah. lost sight of that. I may have had the dreams, but my mother in particular was the dream pusher and the dream maker. Mm-hmm. You can do it. I always say to people, uh, someone said something to me the other day, said, could you really be rich? I'm like, listen, number one, as a woman, you must have standards. And number two, if you want to catch a whale, don't go to the jungle. So I decided very early on that I was going to curate where I was, how I was, and who I hung around. You know, mm-hmm. my mother always said, you want to get an heart, you know, open heart surgery, don't hire an electrician. So it wasn't that I became mean or a snob or this or that. I just was like, there's... You were methodical in your acquisition of the life you wanted to have the perception of. I knew I had small windows. So what was your first thing? Because you leave Great Barrington, you go to New York, but what was that first thing that you like... I imagine you, you knew 
you had to look the part in how you dressed. How did you afford to do it so that you had that presentation? Well, like you, I think, I've always had a good sense of style and I was always known for that. You know, I, my first interview at Liz Claiborne, I wore, I'll never forget, I found a one-piece Perry Ellis jacket in the clearance section at TJ Maxx. And I wore it with a Norma Kamali tube skirt that I also used to wear as a tube dress and I used mm-hmm. to wear it as a bandeau. So I was very clever at pulling together. I never had a lot, but what I had was... I knew how to make it the best I could. I remember I spent one of my whole paychecks on an Hermes scarf. Mm-hmm. And I wore that, it thing was that thing in every way mm. possible because I remember thinking, this is a look that people respect, right? And mm-hmm. I just was very careful about what I bought and how I wore it. You know, I really never did go through like a trampy phase and everything. No. You know, like, I, think, I just did. I think that came, think that came later. <laughs> yeah, exactly, when I lived in London. I think that came to you post-50, the kind of sexy sequin, what-the-fuck-next look. Um, yeah, because so I could. You're, you're, yeah, you so could. It's interesting that we're going to go into that because you could. It's like when you know you can't, you stick within these parameters of what you know will move the dial. So you were doing that, you're at Liz Claiborne. But what was your vision then? What did you want in your life, Dorinda? What was your biggest dream if you were doing visioning mood boards now? I talk about this to Hannah a lot. And what I love about Hannah, she's very modern, very logical, but she also understands the path of growth about who I was, where I came from, and what I did to get to where I am. And nothing, we all like to put these big, well, you did, or you had, or you are. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to always marry I wanted to get married. There was no doubt about it. I definitely went to New York thinking I'm going to work hard and put myself in an environment where I can meet a good husband because I was the first person to get educated in my family. We come from a Italian, Polish background. No one went to college. Most people didn't even have their high school degree. But also, this is like 1982, I presume, because we're the same age. Yeah, so to you, what was interesting is your path to success was marriage in your mind. Not just marriage, but marrying someone that was going to better my children's future. I knew if when I had children, I wanted them to have it better and have more opportunities. And I don't mean, when I say better, I don't mean more clothes, planes, trains, and buses. I wanted there to be an ease. I struggled Mm -hmm. to keep Mm -hmm. going. Like every year I went back to Berkshire School my prep, the prep school I went to, every year was a roll of the dice. Am I going to get the Reader Digest scholarship? Am I going to have a lacrosse scholarship? Am I going to be able to waitress enough to put away the $3,000 I needed to give to my parents to make sure I could go back? So I wanted my child or whatever child I was going to have to have less fear and more options because people don't like to say it, but you know, when you don't have financial security, especially as a woman back then, remember, we're Mm -hmm. talking... A long time ago now, 40 years ago. It's scary. It's scary. Mm. And I was just saying to someone the other day that was, they were saying, well, it was your generation. And I said to the person, she's all 32. I said, first of all, the biggest mistake new guard can make, young lady, is to not respect (laughs) old guard, okay? (laughs) I don't know quite how that would have come across to Rinda. It's like, that's a, yeah, all right. Remember, I moved to New York where sexual harassment in uncomfortable situations were almost expected. 
And mm. you had to navigate that as an attractive, and I'm assuming at the time I was attractive young lady. I remember this woman that I hired, you would go to these places and they would get you interviews. And you would mm -hmm. they'd say, yeah, there's an interview. And I remember one lady saying to me, now listen, this person X, I think you'd be a great fit, but he really loves push-up bras. Go to Lord & Taylor and buy a push-up bra. Wear under your blouse, don't show too much, but just enough so he knows. And I went to Lord & Taylor and bought a push-up bra. What, to get a job doing what? In fashion. And what, the was your, what was the job you were going for? It was a sales job in, in wholesaling. I was at Liz Claiborne at the time and I wanted to yeah. move up to the next level. Okay. And I never did, you know, I never slept with anybody. Really, I didn't or do anything naughty like that. But I was very aware. Women were just very aware that there was, yeah. you know, and, and, and you didn't have a lot of places to go to, to complain with no money. Yeah. Human resources was basically the fox in the hen house. You said something, you got a job nowhere. So you yeah. were constantly not only navigating, trying to move up in the world, living with very little resources, but also in a world where women, there wasn't equal pay, there wasn't equal opportunity, and there wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, your voice wasn't as strong as it is today. And that for my daughter is one of my happiest things. How do you feel about financial insecurity today? Because the bedrock of how you grew up was that sense of where would this take me and what should I need? But is it still in your life today and how does it show itself, Dorinda? Every day. It is. I worry, and even when I am fine and things, I just, I fear money. I don't like to have, I fear it. Mm -hmm. um, Hannah always says, because I'm always saying to Hannah, well, we can't do that because we're broke. She goes, you got to stop saying that, okay? I know that you have some bizarre comfort in feeling broke all the time. Yeah. But, and I work with this woman, Mona Andrekian, as my financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. And she's been such a huge help for me because A, for me, I needed a woman because I felt uncomfortable after Richard passed talking to a male about money. So yeah. I actually consciously- yeah. I mean, can we just start with that statement? When I was speaking to my financial advisor at Morgan Stanley, let's just, just, just savor that statement first, Dorinda, because this is about imposter syndrome around money and, and a lot of things. So you have this woman and you have enough money, Morgan Stanley think you should have a financial advisor. Okay, let's just... <laughs> I don't want to, like, be your counsellor here, but I think it's really interesting as to where this fear comes around money because you and I share it to an extent, all right, and we didn't necessarily have entirely the same upbringing, but it is at what point you let go of it because it's like what is enough that you can let go of it? I don't know. It may be when... You know, my mother and father just were always so worried about m money. And my mother always was like, uh-oh, oh, always have a plan B. Don't get caught out. Ooh, ooh, you don't want to, uh-oh, that's not yeah. good. You know, that's how I grew up, a Catholic, Italian, fearful. And my mother really, you know, managed her dollars closely to raise four kids. It, it still doesn't make sense to me sometimes when I look at my parents. They had four kids. But it's there. It's there. It's been there a long time. And also you can look at this from another angle. I have it with two women who have over the years worked helping me, well, not helping me, cleaning the house. And they're always worried about my money situation on my behalf. And so what, what recently has happened with me, I think I shared this not that long ago, but I just, I actually had to say, I said, Maria, please stop. I, and, and it made me 
acknowledge I'm doing okay. And because I had to prove to somebody else who was worried on my behalf, like your mother is still worried about you, I bet, all right, because you're very close, of how you can then go to a stage where, because I think if you continuously have a fear about something, it stops you having full success, Dorinda. 100%. All right. So how do we both work through this? And anyone else listening, because that fear of financial insecurity, whatever pennies, pounds or millions you have in the bank, it's the feeling that goes with it that we're talking about here. Yeah, you know, I think a little bit of fear is good because I have Why? also... Why? Uh, because I'm surrounded by a lot of women. It was such a learning curve after Richard passed. You know, I, I went to see, I'll never forget, I, went, I think I told you the story. I went to Proskauer, who is a big law firm in New York, and I, they said, and my mother has always been the accountant and knew to the penny what was going in and out of our house. My father mm -hmm. had to hand over a check every week, and my mother was the keeper of the key when it came mm -hmm. to money. Yeah. My mother always said, follow the man and follow the money. You know, don't don't ever let a man control the money because if you follow mm -hmm. the money, you follow the man. And I really grew up with that. Like yeah. Ralph Lynch or Richard Medley never wrote a check in their whole time they were with me. Never. I paid all the bills. I kept all the finances. So when mm -hmm. Richard passed, I remember going to see this guy, this estate lawyer at Proskauer, this big firm. And, he, and I had six shoe boxes because back then you kept your checks. Remember when mm -hmm, they were paper? Mm -hmm, and I had them by month, by year. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, what's that? I said, it's every check that Richard Medley and I have ever written and everything you need to know I can do in my... Because yeah. yeah. I, I worked at the library. I have a very strong sense of indexing, I said to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And he sat there and he said, can I tell you, I deal with women that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars whose husbands die, and they couldn't tell you where their husband banked. Mm. They they didn't, you knew, and then he said, you, you know you have a will? I'm like, oh, of course. One thing I said to Richard Methley when I married him, I need a will immediately, like today. And I remember mm. we were married about three months. It was all because of financial fear. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is I'm surrounded by women that are in their 50s where it's a financial disaster and it's not going to get any better. They say, yeah, but I'm going to be alive for another 40 years. Yeah, but the earning power changes. Yeah. Who wants to be working at 72? Okay, I'm going to take you back, though, because, and I just, if this is difficult for you to answer, you don't have to answer it, no, Dorinda. No, but but I difficult. do remember, I remember at the time that I met you and you were married to Richard, your husband, and my husband at the time was good friends with your husband, too. And I remember you came over, you stayed at the Barclay, and I saw you as this kind of lavish lifestyle American and we had some fantastic times together. And there was always a kind of wheeling dealing. My husband at the time was a wheeler dealer, not at all as successful as yours. And I remember also coming to stay and you very kindly let me stay in your fantastic brownstone. And it was this very beautiful lifestyle. All right. Correct. Now, until even it though, wasn't. <laughs> okay. Now, this is what I want to discuss with you because it's what things happen in our life that reinforce and feed the fear. All right. So, your sense of control, I'm not going to be your analyst for a second, but I think your sense of control and your your releasing of that fear is that you're writing every check, so you're doing what your mother said, you're doing all those things, you're feeling I'm in control. Now, you might not actually know secret bank accounts Richard did or didn't have. Do you know what I mean? So, A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. Richard dies, all right, and then 
Do you find out stuff you didn't know, Dorinda? A hundred percent. Okay. So so you went from feeling that feeling of incontrolled so finance, I'm writing every check. What what Richard did, and God, you know, bless him and rest his soul, he let me run our whole lives. I mean, the people that worked for us, the vacations, yeah. the booking the boats. All the stuff you saw with yes. him. Yes. But yeah. what I did realize is when I I'll never feel when I when he died, he there was all kinds of stuff that I was completely unaware of things yeah. he had invested in, people he'd invested, money he had lent, promises he had made. And mm -hmm. I was like, it. and I, I remember thinking, it was almost like I didn't know him. And again, you say, don't be fearful. But again, that will never happen again. You know, that that was like, yeah, you how learned, did that happen? You learned from that, so yeah. So yes, you know, it is good to be, you know, not as worried maybe sometimes as you and I are, but also... Can I stick with this for a second? Because I just, it's yeah, really... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's really interesting just to hear your emotional journey in it, Dorinda. So he had a, a long protracted time in hospital and died. And I just want to ask you, when, so you're going through the stuff and everything is not as it is. So did you have chronic financial insecurity again? Did that come whooshing back to you? like a fear? Did you feel you were you were trying to put out fires every day? How was that for you? It was awful because I did a thing that like we talked about. Uh, I kind of, when I got after about four or five years, I got comfortable and I let people start taking care of my life. I let yeah. people start running things because I was like, huh, maybe I am that woman. Maybe I am the woman mm -hmm. that just can not worry about things and go shopping and plan, you know, her lunches mm -hmm. and her her fundraiser dinners. And that was the worst thing I ever did because it was the last two years when I didn't know what was going on. I mean, mm. after Richard died, I had no electricity in my house at Blue Storm Manor because I didn't know who was paying the bills. Okay. Can you think, imagine that? And it it just once again dragged me back to, Fuck it. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe yeah. that yeah. I, I I didn't have my plan B. Diane Sincala's always right. Always be prepared. Almost a little bit. You know, Hannah always says, I'm always, I'm like a warrior. I may walk around nice, but I'm too, too, a split second away from pulling my sword. Always. And that's yeah. not a great way to be. But unfortunately, when you dance with, you know, the people we dance with and the world we dance in, which is fast and furious and you got to be on guard. And I hate to say that. It's not a negative. It's a positive negative. <laughs> I, I think it's neither positive nor negative. It's the state in which you live. And I'm not going to judge it. It's just the state in which you live. And it's many years of having to be on guard, riposte, you know. And it's guilt. There's a lot of guilt. I, I am filled with a ton, ton of guilt. Like, you know, I just got back from the ultimate girls trip and I got back and I sort of laid it out. I was supposed to go, go do the special forces thing. I ended up deciding not to do it. Viewed it as a huge failure. Meanwhile, it was because I, I failed the health report. The doctor's like, this is not personal. You have osteoporosis. You can't wear a 60-pound back. And I was like, but it's such a failure. He's like, well, not really. You just, you yeah. know what I mean? But I, yeah. And then I decided when I came up to the Berkshires, I was going to take two days off. Mm -hmm. I woke up this morning thinking, you've taken four days off. You are lazy. Now get up yeah. and get your act okay. together ASAP. So there's this kind of <laughs> thing always behind you. Did you do Housewives because you felt broke? No, I did Housewives 
Because at that point, by the time Housewives came along, I had gotten everything back in order. You know, okay. one of the things that was really terrible is that, you know, when someone dies, you don't immediately get a, you don't get a financially settled for sometimes a year because people probate the estate. Yeah. And so by the time Housewives had come, you know, everything had settled, the, all different things had kicked in. I'd sold most of the things like the boat, his life insurance had kicked in. The house, Bluestone Manor, was fully transferred to me without any mm, debt. Prob- yeah. Mm. So then I was like, I did it because every one of my identities was gone. Uh, Richard left everything I loved being about a mother and had planned. I had it so planned out our life after the kids left. Yeah. Motherhood had left because Hannah the same yeah. year went to college. And all these things that I felt comfortable with were gone. And I felt too old and too young. Too old mm. to start fresh again and too young and to just... And too young. Yeah. Give up. And, and Ramona Singer, who I've known for 20 years, said, please, Dorinda, you know, Andy would love to have... Just come for you. It'll be good for you. Just mm-hmm. come and do it as a friend. I was on the show a lot anyway in the background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'll just give it a go. I'll just try it out as a friend yeah. and see if I like it. And I'll never forget it. Ramona and I were just talking about this when we were filming last week. I remember doing the first scene with her in her kitchen, and I remember that camera coming on and thinking, hmm, I like the camera, and I think the camera likes me. Like, it was, (laughs) I do remember that. Yeah. And it was just, and I used it almost as therapy. I didn't Mm. care. I didn't have to worry about Richard or anything anymore. I just was Dorinda. I wasn't Dorinda Sakala. I wasn't Dorinda Lynch. I wasn't Dorinda Medley. I wasn't mom. I wasn't a wife. I just got to do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I painted on that canvas, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but I would have done it all over again. And it yeah. presented all my things I do now, most of the things I do now, and most of the opportunities and people and situations are because I decided to take that jump. Richard wouldn't know the, my life and the people I hang around with now. So can I ask you then this, and I think it's for those women listening, there'll be many women listening, Dorinda, who feel exactly, and you described it so eloquently, that sense of, I don't know who I am. You know, I, I've lost my identity because ultimately to that point, your identity was through somebody else. And mm-hmm. and it's like, you're always there. But so I see you in a whole new light in terms of this, because we've never actually had this conversation in detail. But that actual camera in your face was the thing that gave you permission. It allowed it to come out. It's kind of an amazing thing. It allowed it to come out. And not only allowed it to come out, but it gave me permission to just not give a shit. Like, yeah. I'm finally, I'm finally at yeah. like, you know, 40 whatever years old, just going to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm not 40 whatever to years voices. old. We were both born in 64. <laughs> Why? Oh, you mean when you started Yeah, it. when I started. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought you were going to try and say, I say, Dorinda, we've just, we're both born in 64. <laughs> what the fuck here? But no. like, yes, exactly. That in your 40s, because you started it like that. Yeah. Because I, yeah. to be honest with you, because a lot of my fear and a lot of my guilt was just pure anger. I was like, fuck yeah. this. I've been a good girl, good wife, good mother, good daughter, good, good. Yeah. I never slept around and had fun like everyone else. Like, why couldn't yeah. I have done that? And this is what I get as the booby price. So you know what? Now the gig is up. It was a lot of anger based. I am doing mean. If you don't like it, well, too, 
too bad. Yeah. It really yeah. was like that. And it, it really was like that. I mean, the thing is... I was defiant. Yeah, you were defiant. Now, I haven't watched... I have watched maybe half an episode of you because there was a part of me that, was that didn't want to watch it. Okay, I, w- I was Every fearful to watch you. Every single one of my you. friends that knew me said, don't do it. Everyone. Okay, but but it, it wasn't that I would say to you, don't do it, because I've done television and I've done reality television, not in, in that kind of show, but I've, you know, I've done that stuff. When you said, I love everything it gave me and there's, and, and you know, I've painted the canvas and some of the paint strokes haven't been so great and some have been great. Now, the paint strokes to me that haven't been so great probably is your relationship with drinking. Yes, but okay. you know what? And I'm going to tell But I, I thought... just want to, I want to ask you, where was, you know, like, would you have been in that situation and done that if you hadn't had five margaritas? You know what I mean? It's like... I, but here's the thing. Yeah. I was defiant. I just didn't care. And I got to tell you the truth. I don't look at it as a bad thing because that's where I was at the time. That's how yeah. I felt. And I didn't want to answer to anybody. And it was the first time that I could just... I'm so responsible. I've been responsible my whole life. You see, I, I think you relived your my my take on this. You I, relived you know your saying? bloody teenage years I because did. there you were. You know, there you were. Basically, you were trying to. Re- now, I just want to say this because let's go back. Dorinda went from public school to private school, where she had to come up with the money to pay the school fees, which is three thousand dollars in tuition fees. Well, the extras, and, yeah, the extras. So therefore, you're not getting to do all the crazy fun stuff because Never. you're probably working to earn the money. So I see it basically as you're just living your teen years. <laughs> no, listen, I do see that. I'm not going to lie to you. I've had this conversation with Hannah. Once I got through whatever I got through after Richard passed, and then I kind of like got into the house twice, and then I started you know, not really having a lot of responsibilities at home, like no husband, no child yeah. at home. You know, it was dating John, who was a lot of fun. I yeah. had a ball. I'm sorry, yeah. everyone. I don't regret it. It was, I, I'm happy it's passed. But yeah. we had, I never had that much fun even in college because I was yeah. so worried. Listen, I went to college and had two jobs. I was never the person that could stay out late, let it yeah. all hang out. I was yeah. worried. Mm-hmm. And, you so know. So what this, what this says then is it's my judgment on at what age do women not look appealing when they've drunk too much. All right. That's, yeah, then, but, that was, really but that was mainly TV. I didn't really do it off TV as much. That was like the environment we were that in. That was created. That was no, created it, it wasn't created because I don't do that with Bravo. You know, they, they don't force your hand. But it's a pressure cooker when you're on the show. You know, you're like, yeah. it's 12, 14 hours a day. And of course, they always have things available. And I definitely probably didn't manage it much because I was both nervous and it was fun. Yeah. But, you know, it. You know, I think it... The thing about all these things are all women can identify with it. I know for you because you know me personally, but there's been so many women that are like, I get it. You know, yeah. we just are so stressed out. We just want to blow off to, steam. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I just got finished with this trip now. And it's interesting because we're all that much older and it wasn't really based on that. It's now different. Again, we're kind of like grown-ups on the show. We're more wacky. So just to take those people watching through your journey as a housewife, right? So you came into a show that was already in existence. It had been going three years, four years? I came in the sixth season. Okay, so six years. But I knew all the girls and I'd been on the show in the background. So it wasn't like... Yeah, but you come into the show 
and you're in your 40s and you do how many years in that show? Six. Six years. And then they switch out some cast members and then you do the Well, then they legacy. put me on pause. They um, put you on pause. Yeah, which was, ended up being a great thing and then, uh, you know, a healthy thing for me because it really, it was COVID. It was, what did it know. make you feel, though, when they... Because in, in terms of going back to the fear thing, Dorinda, when you've done a show and you've done it for six years and it's like, this is your life, you're enjoying it, you're, re, you're being a teenager, you're not giving a, a shit, all this wonderful stuff, and you're put on pause. Because initially... It was terrible. I cried my eyes out. I think I cried to you. Because, but mm. it's an interesting thing. Every six years, something happens in my life. I wrote about it in the book. You know, I was married to Rich, Ralph six years, then we split up. I was single for six years, then I met Richard. Mm. I, I was married to Richard for six years, then he passed. Mm -hmm. I did the housewife. There's something weird with the number six with me. And yeah, I have it with my, the number 10, all that stuff. I was stuff, with yeah. John for six yeah. years afterwards, after Richard. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's so funny because numerically my number is nine, which is all numbers, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it was devastating because, A, I just, I'm not the person that gets fired or let go or put on pause. Yeah. I mean, I'm employee of the month. I'm the, you know, I'm that person. Yeah. But, you know, it, I got very lucky because it was covid so the world so they couldn't was film shut anyway. down. Yeah, yeah. I knew deep in my side I was kind of done with it. It got toxic for me, mm -hmm. but I would have never have left because the money's too good, the fame is yeah. too enchanting. Yeah. As it turned out, the, the week before they put me on pause, I got my deal with Simon and Schuster. So it was very interesting the way I think it's God. People call it luck. How like things switched out and I needed that period and COVID mm -hmm. obviously helped to facilitate it to just go go quiet and write and there was the writing and and Hannah really helping me write because Hannah's such an incredible writer because I'm not a, you're a great writer I'm not yeah but Before, can I just pause here that make it nice I don't know if you spoke a lot of it um, and then it was transcribed but it flows beautifully Dorinda and when I read it You've got wise words. You tell a story incredibly well. You know, I was looking at, I haven't read the whole book. I was looking at extracts in preparation for the interview. And I thought, this is a really good flow. So even if I didn't know or didn't follow you or hadn't watched Housewives, I would want to read a book of a woman's journey. And it was really well written. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, Hannah really, was a huge yeah. help. Hannah used to say to me all the time, you are a great storyteller, but you, you know, you need to just shut your mouth and just be able to write because you like to just talk a story, but that never makes mm -hmm. a great writer, right? Mm -hmm. You know me, I love mm -hmm. to talk to anything that moves as you. <laughs> so it's interesting there that I'm, and I'm going to take this on and pivot now to your faith, because ever since I knew you, you've had this quite strong faith, which yes. is something that sort of at not in conflict and funny enough in the people who are very extreme, they have this underpinning. But ever since I met you, I mean, the thing I've always associated with you is going to church with your parents and your Catholic, you know, high Anglican or... or you know, at this point, yeah. I was raised Catholic, but at this point, Catholic, I'm just spiritual. I'm just, you're just, you know, yeah, you're just spiritual, but it is very strong. I go wherever the mass suits my lifestyle now. I'm like, oh, St. So-and-so has it 11. That's the one I'll go to. So... Okay. Okay. I've been known to end up in Baptist churches on Sunday because <laughs> I just... Okay, so what I want to ask you is this. So when things happened that 
bring up fear. So, like, you know, they decide to put you on pause, which ultimately was the best thing, retrospectively, best. for you. All right. But at that time, what was it that carried you through when you were feeling suddenly the bottom's fallen out of it? My mother and my faith and my mm. daughter. In what way? Well, my mother is, you know, my mother goes to church every day and it's not, that's not why. Because my mother just has, I remember walking, you know, I, I was put on pause. They called it pause or whatever. And I remember saying to everyone, it's fine. It's great because that's what we do. It's great. I don't want to do it anyway because it's COVID. Everybody, you know, but then I went home to, you know, my mother lives a couple, my father, parents live a couple miles away. And I remember running home when I got back to Great Barrington and my mother always has her umbrella gloves on. And she, she goes and I said, Mom, they fired me. Because you know, she's the only one I can sort of cry. She goes, ah, yeah. oh, rejection is protection. Thank God. Who wants to be working during this time anyway? And you know what? I guarantee you, mark my words, in a year, you're going to wake up, write him a thank you letter. Letter. Anyway, listen, come for dinner tonight. I'm making a roast chicken. And that was it. And it was that. It, that's a true story. With her gloves. It mm. was just said, received. She put it through the mixer of like, my mother just doesn't, she's been, she's so good at just not getting stuck. And I really was like, huh, she is right. Rejection is protection. And this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And they're going to miss me. And you know, a year later, look what happened. The series didn't, you know, got canceled. Mm -hmm. I wrote this incredible book. I created my Bluestone Matter bourbon. I mm -hmm. started exercising and really, you know, took an herbal class that got really close to like, things that mattered to me again. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was my Phoenix moment. And, yeah. you know, between my mother and, it, oh, and Hannah's a really good voice for me. Hannah's tough, mm. but she is a good voice for me. And my you know religion, what I'm envious of, Dorinda, which whenever you've mentioned it, I've sort of thought, is that you have such a relationship with your mother who now must be 80, 84, that her word counts. Oh, very you know, much. It's an interesting one because a lot of people end up parenting their parents. My mother, I because she had Alzheimer's, I had, I parented her to an extent. And also, I love my mother dearly, but she never had... I Like, I don't remember one wise word she said to me, which is, a, you know, just like... No, I don't, wow. actually. I, I'm literally trying to think. Do and I you're know so one wise, wise word my mom said to me? So I have always thought how incredible you have that with your mother who is an 84 year old woman it's so special it you know? is yeah. and I think Hannah kind of has it with me we were talking yesterday Hannah and I sitting in the quad you know Hannah's at Harvard and stuff and we're sitting in the quad having lunch and she she had just gone home while I was away filming and visited my mother because she's very close to my mother and she said, you know, I'm so, I, I'm, I just feel so blessed that I have such strong women in my life. And I said, well, it's the invisible mm -hmm. string. I come from a very strong line of matriarchal women. My great grandmother mm -hmm. was a firecracker, Amelia Magadini, mm -hmm. Vera Magadini, the Caligaris, you know, Italian women, Polish women, you know, who I, I pray to and think about, I call on them often. You know, my grandmother, Mary Sincala, these are women that came over on boats and situations to be in America. My mm. grandmother, Mary Sincala, who was Polish, who couldn't write English even when she died. I went to visit her, I was working at Liz Claiborne, all dressed up because they gave us a clothing allowance. And I went to Clark, New Jersey to visit her when she was dying. 
And she said, I came in and I was very fancy, you know, and I thought, oh, grandma. And I remember she said to me, holding my hand, she said, I used to work for women like you at Park Avenue and steal their pantyhose so I could make dolls and sell them on the Brooklyn Bridge. And I remember thinking, that's horrifying. Like, I wasn't proud of myself at all. I was like, because it's so easy. I always say to people, you got to remember your path. Mm. It's okay to be where you are today. It's okay to appreciate who you are today, but you always got to remember your path because mm-hmm. it's so valuable, all those voices mm. that have lifted you up, mm-hmm. you know, to each step. And for yeah. me, it's been women. So today in 2023, you've just done this show in St. Bart's and what other places filming. When's it coming out, Dorinda? No, just St. Bart's. It was only eight days of filming. Yeah. It probably won't be out till 2024. But it's all the women came back together from old school. You know, Luann and Sonia and me and Ramona and Kelly Bensimone and this girl Kristen Takeman who was on for a couple seasons. Yeah, it was, you know, we've not, here's the thing about filming for us. We've known each other for so long. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be like filming with you. But what did you do all day? I mean, did they set stuff up? Because you're on an island. It's not like you're going to New York doing different things. How did they get we did, different stuff yeah, in the they, show? They set up a ton of stuff. I mean, you oh, are did, you yeah. start filming at 8 in the morning and you finish between 11 and 12 at night. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, you I was your, tired. You your money. Yeah, I can imagine. You know what's so funny? So yesterday, you're going to love this. So we're in the quad and, you know, Hannah... She's showing me this, she's showing me that, she's showing me this, and we have to be very quiet in this library and this, and this woman comes running up to you and says, oh my God, is that you, Dorinda Medley? She's like, that's it. We don't, you can't do that here. I said, well, Hannah, I can't help it. I, I'm not doing it. I'm just saying, this is like, you know, not reality TV place. This is, you know, oh so God, it's it. very funny that's watching so Hannah, who's very proud yeah. of me, by the way. Yeah, but at yeah, the she same is very time, proud of you, yeah. It must be hard for her to think about it. I'm coming to do a talk at Harvard, so I want you to come, and I hope Hannah will be there. Oh, but my I God, Trini, I'm so yeah, excited. Okay, last question. What advice would you give to somebody that has a dream, but they're too fearful of the unknown to pursue it? Okay. You know, I think the most important thing for people is to dream big, and take it one step at a time. Don't look at everything in a macro sense because it's too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Get your dream. It's like a compass. Stay north and just keep making small steps forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work for your dream, if it's not the right people, the right situations, the right investments, don't do it. Mm-hmm. But just keep marching forward. And mm-hmm. I promise you, if you love something enough and if you stay focused and you don't get polluted by bad things, people, situations, you will get there in the end. But it's not an overnight thing. I think that's the thing that people mm-hmm. have a problem with. People want success fast. It is a quiet, slow movement forward. Mm-hmm. It's like a warrior walking in the night. Just go forward. Nice advice, Donnie. It's been a pleasure, Dorinda. I love you, Trini. As always. So nice. It fills me with joy speaking to you, my darling. Oh, it I really can't wait. It. I'm going to see you soon. Thank you so much, Dorinda, for coming on Fearless. Joy. As well as I know, Dorinda, I found that conversation very enlightening for me because it just showed 
so much how she has lived many lives through other people, through her first and second husbands. And it's now in her 50s that she's now living her life for herself. And I think many of us can identify with that feeling of it's not about not putting yourself first, but it's not getting to who you are. And she's, you know, you meet somebody and you know when they know who they are. And Dorinda knows who she is. She knows her shortcomings and she knows her abilities. And she's had to work through such a tremendous amount of fear to get to that place. I'm in total admiration of that journey of hers. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did, somebody who knows her very well but who discovered new things. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll catch up again soon. 